Hallelujah. 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 Thankful for the Lord and all he's done for us uh, this year. And we start a new series uh, today, The Heart of Worship. And I tell you, I love uh, preaching and teaching about worship and um, the idea that uh, this through this series, uh, because God is always worthy of praise, our hearts must be set to worship Him in all things and at all times. We must be ready to worship Him at all times. And so uh, today um, we'll open with this one verse of Scripture, Psalm 95 and 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. That says a lot in one sentence, doesn't it? He's our Lord. He's our Maker. That's everything for us. And so let us come and worship and bow down. Let's pray this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. And thank you for the lesson that we learn in your word today. Help us to receive it, God. We're, we're going to worship you in spirit. We're going to worship you in truth. And Lord, we're thankful to just have a place today that we can praise you and, and hear from your word. Bless us now to receive it in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Give him a hand clap of praise and a shout before you're seated. We worship a great God today. What a great God. Hallelujah. You can be seated this morning, and thank you for being in, in service today. And so the idea for this lesson, because God is always worthy of praise, we must display the proper attitude of worship. Today we're going to talk about the attitude of worship. There's a story that's recorded a couple of times in the Gospels, and we're going to read a little narrative about that this morning as Jesus withdrew to the regions of Tyre and Sidon, a woman whose daughter had been possessed with a devil, she found Jesus and fell down to worship him. Her worship was voiced as a desperate cry from a mother's broken heart for the deliverance of her daughter. But in that moment, worship was met with heavenly silence and divine postponement. If you remember the story of the Syrophoenician woman that came crying after Jesus says that when she cried out to him about her daughter that uh, he answered her not a word. He didn't say anything. He didn't. It's almost like he ignored her or just pretended that he didn't hear her. Uh, can you imagine how hard that would be? Especially knowing what we know today about the Lord. We, we're always... Uh, very enthusiastic about scriptures that I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and I cried unto the Lord and he delivered me from all my trouble and and but to cry out to him and not just hey I, I need some food or I, I need a little shelter or a little money or something my daughter that I love greatly that I've got this terrible urgent need that I need I, and only you can fix this and Jesus Answers her not a word, says nothing. What do you do when you don't hear from him? What do you do when you know he's the one with the answer, yet he says nothing? Is he not faithful? Doesn't he love everybody? 
Isn't he true to everybody? Sure he is. Sometimes you, you can't go by your feelings, but you've got to go by what you know about God. And she was persistent. And uh, the story is recorded a couple of times. And when he finally does answer her, uh, Mark 7 and 27 records that Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled. For it is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it unto the dogs. Uh, there's a, you need to make sure you understand what he's saying there. Let the children first be filled. He didn't say she would never receive anything. But there was an order to what he was doing. And Jesus told her, I'm sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Well, she's not from Israel. She was not the right ethnicity. She didn't have the right heritage. But she had faith in him. She knew who she was, and she knew who he was, and she knew the household she was going into to approach him. Her faith pushed her to believe that God could step beyond his own boundaries. She believed that God could do it regardless of what anybody else thought about her. She was so desperate, she needed an answer. And her reply to him is, you're right, Lord, but... Even the dogs are allowed to eat whatever crumbs fall from the table where the children are eating. And if all you've got is crumbs, I'll take the crumbs. If that's all I can get, I'll take it because I am desperate for an answer. And right then and there, because Jesus has already spoke the order, let the children first be filled. We know there's an order, and even in salvation, it was to the Jew first and then to the Greek. And, and so salvation was to, the, to uh, his own people first, and then we were going to be coming in, then to the Gentile. And, uh, but at that moment, something stops, if you will, uh, God's plan for a moment. It wasn't that God's plan didn't ultimately include this woman. We know that it does. It was just the time wasn't right. He wasn't coming to them yet. But because of his deity, Jesus being God manifest in the flesh, he reaches into the future and finds an answer and provision for this Canaanite woman and her daughter. And he says, O woman, great is thy faith. And then he heals this, this woman's daughter. He said, Let it be unto you, even as uh, you have asked and as you have thought. Said, your, your faith is so great that uh, your prayer has been answered. And at that moment, her daughter was healed. And it was this woman's attitude uh, of worship that got heaven's attention. Uh, she was persistent with her worship. Uh, she was humble and she was reverent. She came falling at his feet. She came to Jesus not demanding him, saying, hey, look, this is what you can do and you've got to do this. But she placed herself at his mercy and it was that attitude that moved heaven. Have you ever been desperate for something to happen? That's different than wanting something to happen. I mean, have you ever been desperate? Man, let me tell you, people need desperation. Uh, I, you know, sometimes uh, I think we're afraid to say I'm desperate because uh, we think that people are going to assume, well, I, I lack. You know, sometimes we, we use that term desperate for people who are looking for relationships. Well, they're just desperate. And so it's like a last resort kind of thing, but... But when we're living for God and we know that God's got the answers and we know there's some things that are out of our hands, I think it's all right if we just get a little desperate sometimes because desperation will move people. Listen, desperation moves people to do the wrong things. Why can't it move people to do the right things? 
Sometimes people will get desperate and they'll fall into lifestyles that they never would have entered into, but they thought they had no other way to go. Well, what about if we would get desperate sometimes and say, you know, it's not like me to just cry out or it's not like me to lay on my face and and beat the floor and grab the carpet. But what if we got desperate? What if we knew, hey, Lord, you're the only one that's got the answer? Maybe it's because we're we're real comfortable in our church house. We're real comfortable in our sanctuaries. But but what if we got like this woman and realized I've got to go to a place where everybody's not going to like what I'm doing. Everybody's not going to believe what I'm asking for. But I'm desperate. And I'm not worried about the opinions of others or what anybody else thinks right now. But I've got to have an answer from God. So if I need to fast, if I need to cry, if I need to beat the floor, if I need to do some things that seem out of the ordinary, whatever it takes, I've got to have an answer. And if I don't hear from him right away, I don't stop. If I don't hear him, if he's silent for a moment, I know him. Don't you know him today? He's been faithful and proved himself over and over again. And maybe it's time that we realize just because he's not answering, it doesn't mean he doesn't care. And it doesn't mean that there's not an answer. It just means maybe it's not time. And maybe he wants to see how far will you go? How great is your faith? How great is my faith? I don't want to become a worship vending machine. Where the only time worship is produced for me is when I'm in a certain setting or a certain song is playing or there's a certain atmosphere going. But, but worship ought to be a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle, not just a, a, a moment of emotion. It's not just a, a single day, but it's an everyday way of life for those who love God and serve Him. And that's who we are. See, we're in a place that this woman's not. We're, all, we're grafted in. We're born again. Filled with His Spirit, washed by His blood, called by His name. Worshippers are who we are. And friend, let me tell you, a worshiper can be desperate. Desperation does not show lack of trust. This woman was desperate and she knew where to go. I think that uh, we we need a a new revival of desperation in God's people. Sometimes where it's just us calling on His name, crying out to Him and... uh, Sometimes, why, why are they making such a show? Why are they making such a demonstration? You know, the disciples in this story said, uh, because Jesus didn't answer right away, they were like, will you send her away? Because now she's bothering us. Desperate. It's her child. I can't leave her in this condition. Sometimes, I think we mistake Acts of great faith is saying, God will take care of it. That's indifference. If he does, he does. If he doesn't, he doesn't. Faith is the evidence of things unseen. Faith is not, oh well. Grabbing him by the hem of his garment, that's faith. Knowing that people don't want you there, but going to him anyway, that's faith. Tearing the roof off a house and messing somebody's uh, home up and lowering a sick man, that's faith. Crying out and screaming when you're blind and nobody else wants to, nobody else needs your miracle, but you need that, that's faith. But going, ah, he's God, he'll do what he's going to do. That's not faith. That's indifference. And we've tricked ourselves sometimes into believing that, well, God's still God, even if he doesn't do anything. But God wants to do something. 
And he will do something. But we need people getting desperate. We need to have the right attitude in our worship toward him. God, you're the only one that can heal this woman. You're the only one that can cast this devil out. i got to have it. This is my daughter. What motivates you? Maybe we need a little desperation in our walk with God. I have such great faith, all I have to do is go, Lord, won't you answer my prayer? And the Lord looks at you and says, you don't have faith in me. You have faith in me? The person that hadn't had a meal in about three days. That one that's crying and weeping and, 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 and beating the floor and grabbing the carpet. Day and night, not sleeping, waking up early, going to bed late, calling on my name, desperate. I'm not saying every time we're going to turn cartwheels and flip when we pray. But there ought to be something inside of us that pours out. God, I'm coming to you because you're the only hope I've got in this. When I pray and I ask you, God, it's because I know only you can do it. I don't ask you for a blessing thinking, well, if he don't cover it, i got a friend that will. I come to you because you're the only one that can help me here. Desperate. And just think about this woman that uh, she's waiting for an answer, and Jesus is saying nothing. I don't even know if he even looked at her, but he just kept walking. Silent. Wait, it's not, I've seen him with other people. This is not how he acts. But this is her situation. What will you do? Will you be like this woman and be persistent? As life gets worse, our worship must deepen. When things, listen, we can't stay at the same level. We have got to be growing in grace and growing in knowledge. And, and we ought to grow in our worship. Our, we ought to be uh, deeper in our worship with him. I know that when we first come in, and that worship is all about goosebumps. Because you don't know nothing. It's all about when the Holy Ghost hits you, man, you're kicking and moving and rolling and flipping and talking in tongues. And it's, it's every bit about that, that what's happening right there. Because, man, it's, you know, but you start realizing that it's more than just that because you'll find a time where you're not just in church and it happens. And you realize that there's something else. And sometimes when you're just praying and the presence of God falls on you and you realize, wow, and your worship gets deeper and your prayer life gets deeper. And we ought to keep advancing in our prayer and in our worship, in our study, in our walk with God. We can't stay in the same place. You can't be born again. When we're born again, we're babies. We don't stay babies when we're born in this world. We grow. We learn how to walk and talk. We learn how to think. We learn how to solve problems. We learn how to live in this world and, and be successful and get by and provide. Well, it ought to be the same. You know, too many people are still spiritual infants. They've been born again, washed in his blood, but they don't know how to provide yet. They don't know how to get by. They don't know how to live successful for God, but it's going to take worship. We've got to be a worshiper. We've got to uh, put him first and forefront in everything. He's got to be uh, what we're looking at, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And when I wake up in the morning, it's because Jesus woke me up and I'll lay my head down in peace because it's God watching over me and it's God speaking to me in the night and God waking me up again the next morning. It's God that's leading me and guiding me in my steps every day and I worship him. I want to have great faith because I'm going to have needs. And I want my worship to be at a level 
so I don't get knocked over by my needs. The reason some people who are born again get knocked off their feet is because they haven't risen to the level that they should be at. They're not growing. It's easy to knock an infant over. It's harder to knock a full-grown adult over. They know balance. A, a, a kid, all you got to do is just, you just startle them enough to make them fall over. But, a, 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 you know, you can just barely tap them. Whoop, there they go. They haven't learned balance yet. They don't know how to catch themselves, right themselves. But it's, it's easier for us. As an adult, you know, we, we got balance. People, we, we've, we've got that, our feet under us. It needs to be like that living for God. Because tribulation is going to happen. In this world, you shall have tribulation. But Jesus wasn't telling him just because he'd overcome it, you don't have to worry about anything. He's saying prepare yourself. You've got to prepare yourself. And you've got me for an example. And you're going to have others for examples. You've got my word. And I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. And you'll have power. And they'll be the, that's why people who have gone through terrible tragedy are still living for God. It's because they got themselves in a place of worship. Where they didn't turn him back is not an option. Paul said we're not of them who draw back unto perdition. But we are of them who believe unto the saving of the soul. He's talking about people that have lived for God and are growing in God. Aren't you thankful for the power that God has put in you? He said you can be rooted and grounded. You can be fed. You can be blessed. And when these trials of life and these things that hit us and they're so horrible come our way, we're still praising God. That's why Job was like he was. He was such a great worshiper. When you read the book of Job, one of the first things you find out when everything's going bad, Job falls down. Tears open his garment, rinses his garment, and he's sitting in a dust pile. And he's, but he's not cursing God. He's not giving up on God. It says he fell down and worshipped. And that's why there is a, a line at the end of the book that says, In Job, uh, God blessed the latter end of Job greater. That's why you read about Job having all the success he had at the end of that book is because he had already prepared himself. And when the attack came, it didn't make him question God. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. It didn't make him uh, doubt that God was watching him. But I know this, he knows the way that I take. And when he's done with me, when he's tried me, I'll be like gold. What I understand is that when God's done with me in the middle of this, I'm going to be better than I ever was. But I have no chance of being better. I have no chance of seeing it through if I give up. And so let me tell you, sometimes people who are not desperate for something will give up. If they, don't want it to, if they don't want it bad enough, they'll give up. And this woman, she comes to the Lord. The devil was in control of her daughter. She was distressed. She was perplexed. She was getting crumbs while everybody else is getting the, the crown. And this is where, this moment in this story, this is where many worshipers quit. This is where they get angry, feel mistreated, complain, and criticize. When everybody else is getting theirs, but where's mine? Everybody else is getting a blessing, where's mine? Everybody else is going on, where's mine? The Lord said, there's a time, but faith can move God to a place where he'll go ahead and do something for your situation. Desperation. If it's not a big deal to us, maybe it's not a big deal to him. We shrug our shoulders, maybe he shrugs his. 
But when we will press and cry out and, 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 and just get sometimes just get hysterical with God. Let him know uh, without a doubt there is nothing, no one. You've got the only answer. I've got to have you. That's where God realizes, hey, let's just stop everything for a moment and go ahead and jump, jump ahead and let's, let's give them this answer. Let's give her what she's looking for. It's not time for the Gentiles yet, but I cannot uh, bypass this kind of faith. I can't do it because God's God. And he responds to worship. She don't even know him. But she, she's, I don't know where she heard the terms that she used to, to call him son of David and, 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 and say these things to him. But she had heard it somewhere. And, and she comes to him calling these things and using this language and, and hanging in there, not leaving. Well, he didn't say nothing. I just, I'm just going to walk on. No. But kept on, kept on, and kept on. And the Lord uses that, that term great faith twice in Scripture, and both times it's not to anybody of his own people. The other one was the centurion who had a servant that was sick at home, and he said, the Lord said, well, I'll come to your home. He said, you don't have to do that. I'm not worthy for you to come into my house, but if you can just speak the word, it'll, it'll be just like you said. And, and he said, man, I haven't found, Jesus says, I haven't found such great faith. No, not in Israel. And so again, he moves ahead and he blesses this, this man, this Gentile, and blesses his servant and heals because of great faith. Jesus answered this woman, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Why her? Why did she have great faith? It's because she worshipped beyond a negative past. She worshipped in spite of silence. She worshipped in the face of family crisis. She worshipped through cultural prejudice and being compared to a dog. She worshipped when the devil mocked her and controlled her daughter. Her worship could not be ignored and heaven's silence broke. Jesus' response was, be it unto thee. How did she and how do we go from earthly crumbs to a heavenly crown? We live with an attitude of persistent Worship. Persistent means to continue insistently or steadily. Being insistent, God, there is no other answer but you. Steadily, even though I don't hear you, I'm going to continue to worship. And this is necessary because we serve a God who is unchanging, ever loving us. And we can't be double-minded in our worship. If we're double-minded, the Bible says we're unstable in all of our ways. And if we're we're double-minded in our worship, if we only worship when it's good, if we only worship while the table's full, if we only worship while uh, the the x-ray's clear, if we only worship while all the bills are paid, that's double-minded. But if we worship when we're broke, if we worship when we're sick, if we worship while our kids are lost, if we just keep worshiping, let me tell you, friend, God sees that. And that's steady. That's persistent. That's knowing that God's going to do these things. Let me think. Everything flows from worship. Everything we are, it flows from that worship. It moves God We've got to continue to worship, have the right attitude of worship. There will always be obstacles in the way of your worship. 
Persistent worship is determined to press through mocking obstacles that attempt to prevent someone from getting to Jesus. Obstacles such as cultural rejection, ethnic background, negative labels, unwanted stigmas do not stop. And they did not stop this Syrophoenician woman. She is known as the worshiper who took crumbs from the master but ended up with a miracle. And so when all you get is a handful of crumbs, let me tell you, if, if all I am is a dog, then I'm about to start barking because I'm going to have the crumbs. I'm going to I'm gonna take what, whatever Jesus will give me. I, I want it. But let me tell you, when you get persistent, when you get desperate and you don't quit, your worship will then become your witness. What a story we have. What an example we have in our life to encourage us because this woman would not turn away and she would not give up and she would not quit, but she kept on worshiping. So I'm looking and say, well, honey, if she can do it, I can do it too. Where she was from, the city of Tyre belonged to ancient Phoenicia, the most prominent woman from there. Anybody know Old Testament was the wicked Jezebel. The label and stigma from being uh, from Phoenicia had a long, dark, negative connotation. Was it unfair? Yes. Did this woman constantly live under the dark shadow of a place from which Jezebel came? Yes. Could she have been judged and discriminated against? Yes. Would this be enough to keep most people isolated and confined in their house uh, of insecurities? Yes. Was the cultural pressure enough to produce an inferiority complex? Yes. Did these obstacles stop her from worship? No. Had every reason that she could have made in her flesh and in her mind to stop. We can always hear that whisper, just stop here. Just quit going. Just quit trying. They don't care. Nobody cares. You're all alone. You're by yourself. Why don't you give up? There's always a voice telling you to stop. Sometimes it's your own voice. Sometimes you're looking in the mirror, in the mirror, convincing yourself what a failure you are. But I'm telling you today that the worshiper, the true worshiper, those that God is seeking after, they don't quit. They don't back up and they don't stop. They don't look and say, well, the only way I'm worthy to worship is if I've got it all together. Honey, worship when you're sick. Worship when you're down. Worship when you fall. Worship when you feel like giving up. Keep worshiping God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Listen, a true worshiper cannot die because he's going to be worshiping somewhere. So we think, well, if you kill the, the worshiper, the worship stops. That ain't true. He just opens his eyes up in another place in another place and he's still worshiping the one he was worshiping while he was in this body but let me tell you this if you kill the worship the worshiper dies and it's like cutting the roots of a tree it can't be fed no more that, that tree is, is getting what it needs from where it's rooted and the Bible says we're rooted and grounded in him and we're rooted and grounded in love we're rooted and grounded in truth and, and honey, let me tell you when you stop worshiping it's like cutting the roots of a tree you're not getting fed anymore because he's not your all in all anymore and if the enemy can stop you from worshiping he'll, he'll stop your ministry he'll stop your witness he'll stop you you'll die you will dry up and you will die. You will not produce fruit. You will be cut down and cast off into the fire. Don't stop worshiping. 
I'm not saying it's going to always uh, you'll be worshiping through tears you'll be worshiping through pain you'll worship through fear you'll worship through depression you'll worship when you don't feel like it but honey if you'll get that attitude of worship that I'm not worshiping because of how good I am right now I'm worshiping because he's good all the time I'm worshiping God because he saved me regardless of where I'm at right now. He washed me in his blood and he filled me with his spirit. And so it might not be like I want it right now, but it's going to be one day because I'm going to continue to worship. I want to have an attitude of worship. Hallelujah. All he always got reasons to quit, always got reasons to back up or to, to be silent and to shut up and sit back. We can go inward real quick, lock the doors tight, not let nobody in, not even God. Or we can worship. Job lost it all. Land or his, his animals, all the things he had is a, a, a house that housed his children that fell in killed all of his children his health is deteriorating his wife is not on the same side and yet he's going to worship blessed be the name of the Lord the Lord gives and the Lord takes away God's good when he's giving and God's good when he's removing because he don't never take away anything that you need. But he can get things out of your way that you don't need. So God, if you're taking something out of my life, it ain't supposed to be here. Because you know what's best for me. You know when to add and you know when to subtract. God knows what he's doing in your life. Don't dig your heels in and hang on when God's trying to move something. Because I'm going to tell you, God will not tug a war with you. He'll just let you have it. And it'll pull you down. It'll be like you holding on to a, a weight out in the middle of an ocean. It'll pull you down. But you let go. When God reaches for something, let him have it. When God starts removing, let it go. If God shuts the door, quit beating on it. And if he opens the door, you walk through it. Always trust. That's the right attitude for worship. That God knows what's best for me. These obstacles did not stop this woman from worship. Persistent worship would rather die than quit. This woman was Greek. We know that Paul wrote that to the Greeks, Jesus Christ was foolishness. She was a Hellenist who worshipped Jesus. She was probably ostracized and even her own family Cast her out for doing so, but she was desperate. This woman worshipped beyond the scope of a negative history. Her worship broke through all former, former, ah, former cultural influence in education, whether it was formal or informal. When worship is focused on the revelation of Jesus Christ, who is the bodily manifestation of the wisdom and power of God, all other forms, all other frames of influence and education must bow and kneel. Because God is always worthy of praise. That means we must display. He's always worthy of it. We must display the proper attitude of worship. We don't get to customize our worship to fit our lifestyle. You worship God because he's God. And that's why our opening scripture, Psalm 95 and 6, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. 
Worship demands action. Statues do not worship God. Furniture doesn't worship God. They may be objects used in worship, but they don't worship. You know who worships? We worship. Created in his image. We have a voice. We have a life. We have his spirit inside of us. We worship God. And the psalmist said, oh, come. It was an invitation. The word come means to move towards something. To move or journey to a vicinity with a specific purpose. God's trying to bring you somewhere as you worship. When we follow him, he said, take up the cross and follow me. And you're on a journey, uh, not of just discipleship, but of worship. You're learning to grow in your worship. You're learning when to worship. Because on this journey with that cross on our back, it's not going to always be smiles and laughter. Sometimes it's going to be tears and heartache. But worship must remain the same. If God does not change, then my worship cannot change. It is impossible to enter God's presence without God adjusting our attitude. Worship is not a platform to display one's talent, one's preaching skills or ability. True worship is about an altar. True worship is about sacrifice, bowing and kneeling. True worship involves humility. Proverbs 22 and 4 says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. That's worship. Humility and fear of the Lord, that's reverence, that's worship. He said, Through these things are riches and honor and life. In Micah, he said, What did God require of us but to uh, do justly, love mercy, and to walk Humbly with our God. Always moving in a direction. Always headed somewhere. Always growing. Looking for riches. Looking for honor and life. You you understand these things are going to come. If you can stay humble. And keep God in the forefront. And reverence him. Riches and honor and life. It doesn't mean you're going to be a billionaire. It doesn't mean you'll be a millionaire. It don't even mean that your house will get paid off. There's riches beside the stuff you put in your pocket. There's riches of of peace of God that passes understanding. There's the riches of joy unspeakable and full of glory. There's riches that, uh, that there's love that, that covers me. There's grace and mercy that's new every day. There's benefits that God loads me with daily. His compassions fail not. Those are riches that this world can't provide. And friend, when you have those riches, the other riches, the riches of this world, the the monetary things, listen, God knows what we have need of. And if we seek first the kingdom of God, these things are going to be added. But when you worship him and when you're humble before God and and you fear him and, and reverence him, there are things coming into your life that this world will never be able to provide. That's why he told that woman at the well, he he had a conversation with her about worship because he said, you don't know what you worship. But he had told her, and because of that, you come to this well over and over and over again. But as long as you do, you'll always thirst. But if you knew me, 
And if you will worship me and ask me, I would give you living water and you would never thirst again. But let me tell you, that, that worship of God, it'll break the hold of this world. The things that we think we have to have, uh, things start losing hold on you and you realize that that's not so important anymore. Yeah, I don't have to have the, the name brand or the finest or the most expensive. Uh, I, as long as I got God and I've got what I need, uh, I'm going to be all right. Let me tell you, the psalmist said, as a shepherd and a sheep relationship with God, he said, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Let me tell you, I I want that table that's spread where the saints of God are fed. Lord, hey, the world can't set up a table. They can't set up a buffet that can compare to what God has laid out for his children. And so when I have the right attitude of worship, when I get desperate and realize, God, I've got to have, I'm, I'm persistent and I'm humble and I'm trusting you and believing you, God's going to provide. When we really worship, it will reveal the contents of our heart. In the very beginning of time, there were two young men, the first children born in this world. And they had been taught to worship God. But one worshipped correctly and one worshipped incorrectly. Abel, it says in Genesis 4, 2, was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought the fruit of the ground as an offering of the Lord. And Abel, he brought the firstlings of the flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had no respect. There was only one thing that God wanted in that sacrifice. And it was the best, the firstling of the flock. Now, that's what Abel, it just so happened, that's what Abel did. He was a keeper of sheep. And so he knew as he would walk through and see, you're the best. I'm going to take you. You're not going back to the field. I'm going to sacrifice the best unto God. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. And there's nothing wrong with Cain's occupation. Except that he thought that it should be enough for God to let him do what he wanted to do. Cain, till the ground, grow a garden, be the best vineyard keeper ever. But when you worship, you don't get to decide the rules. And we might be the best or feel like we're the best at what we do. That doesn't mean we get to change the way we worship. That don't mean we get to change the way we enter in. We don't get to rewrite the rules. It's still got to be. You know what? Abel's your brother. I'm sure he'd say, hey, next flock, pick your one out. Or buy one. Worship will cost you something sometimes. You'll have to make a sacrifice. And if Cain would have just followed the lead. And he said, look, uh, hey, look, I spent a lot of time working this garden. He ought to be satisfied with what I give him. That's not the right attitude of worship. Abel was following in his father's footstep, Adam. Maybe Adam had told them how God had to kill an animal to cover your mother and I when we sinned in the garden. It's going to take a sacrifice. It's going to take blood on this altar. It's got to be, I, I can't, I've got to give him my best. I can't give God the leftovers. I've got to give him the best. Uh, I'm going to sacrifice the best of what I have. I'm not going to give him 
I'm not going to give God the crumbs. I'm going to give him the best of what I've got. And when we surrender our heart to God, our negative attitudes and works of the flesh, they can't go with us. You've got to throw that stuff in the fire as you bow down and worship the king. You've got to get rid of selfish, selfish ambition, jealousy, gossip, ulterior motives, the desire to be seen and heard, unholy anger, hatred, division. You've got to get that carnal stuff out so you can worship God and have the best in your life and in your church. But Cain didn't choose the best way. He chose his way. And in these two uh, young men, we find out either there's going to be sacrificial worship or selfish worship. Sacrificial worship says, I'm here for the kingdom, and I commit to giving my best to the kingdom. But selfish worship says, the kingdom is here for me, and, it, and must give its best to make me happy. And that's the way a lot of people feel. That he's God. He don't need anything I got. He's supposed to be doing for me. He's already done for us. And God does do for us every day. He gives us his best every day. But it is in the ground or the origin of our worship that God inspects us. And from the inspection of worship, the Bible tells us that God respected Abel's worship, but he could not respect what Cain had offered. I can see Abel bowing down as he worshiped. It almost reminds me of those two men in the temple praying. One wouldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven, just smote himself on, the, on his chest and said, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the other one, uh, he stood in there proud, listing all the things that he did and said, I'm not like that guy. And he, he wasn't hu- humble. He had that, didn't have that humility. He wasn't there to worship. He was there to promote himself. Here's my resume, God. But God sees that heart. And God sees what they were offering. And, and Cain didn't want to uh, break down. And he, he thought, I'm good enough like I am. And God should just be thankful for what I'm giving. It made him angry. It made him angry enough to take his brother's life. The power of worship can take something that looks dead and bring it to life. It can restore the most broken and dysfunctional relationships and create an undeniable unity. It can display a new identity as a worshiper offers uh, to God thanksgiving that all past sins and failures have been covered. Worship and relationships are inseparable. Our worship is biblically right when God is honored and the body of Christ is unified. Over thousands and thousands of years, the example of the horrific death that occurred between the two brothers that were supposed to love one another. We, we have this example, worshiping one minute, killing his brother the next minute. Even though he brought the wrong sacrifice, he came as he was worshiping. But it was a warning to the church in the New Testament, John, 1 John 3, 11, 12. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. He killed that worshiper. But you think Abel stopped worshiping? The Bible says he still speaks. He was worshiping in the right style. Worshiping God is not random or aimless. It takes a direction and results in change. It's not a style of music or a certain social status, and it is not rubbing shoulders with someone who can advance personal kingdoms. 
In fact, true worship will destroy personal kingdoms. When worship is directed toward Jesus and we worship him in spirit and in truth, a change in attitude will occur that affects relationship. John equated a lack of love to murder. And we see that example in Cain who slew his brother. The word slew there means slaughtered, butchered, killed, or wounded. It is used in the slaying of the Passover lamb as well as the lamb slain in Revelation 5 and 6. How can Cain engage in worship, be in the presence of God, and then slaughter, butcher, kill, or wound his brother? How can that happen today? How can we be in services where the Holy Ghost is so thick that people are laying in the altars, that people are going into the baptistry, that people are praying through the Holy Ghost and signs and wonders and miracles are happening and people walk out the door and kill their brother or their sister. When we fail to love one another as Christ has loved us, the works of the devil will unravel every thread of unity in the church. We are knit together in love. And if love is not there, there's nothing to hold it. And one thread at a time, he can unravel us and cause us to be at each other's throats and bring the downfall of the church. In Jude 11, woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. Non-biblical worship, again, is seen in the life of Cain. Honey, you can come to the music. I'm, I'm coming to a close. When worship fails to remove hatred in the heart, apostasy subtly lurks around the corner. It's not that Cain did not worship. He attended worship service. The problem is that his worship was self-created worship. When the devil took Jesus up into a high mountain and showed him the vast kingdoms of the world, he offered Jesus power and glory if Jesus would worship him. Obtaining kingdoms, sitting on top of mountains and looking down on others and wielding power and glory have taken down many mighty men. Many great preachers, pastors, evangelists, men of God have lost their way in this trap for power and glory, self-worship. But Jesus was not one of them. He answered the devil like this. And this is the, gives us the end result of what real worship is. Luke 4 and 8, Jesus answered and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. You and everything you got to offer, get out of my line of sight. You cannot be in front. Get behind me. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Who we worship is who we, who we will ultimately serve. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. And so whoever you are worshiping or yielding to, that's who you will serve. When our worship is to the Lord, we will gladly serve him and his kingdom. Sacrificial worship unashamedly turns us into servants of God. Being selfless and sacrificial are proper attitudes of worship. Let's stand together. I'm excited about these next three lessons. I'm really ready to just go ahead and keep going. I believe in worship. And I'm not, and again, I'm not just talking about running and flipping and flopping. I'm, uh, that's fine. I love to shout. I love to dance. I love to be 
uh, demonstrative in my worship in, in here. I believe that uh, scripture bears a lot of that out. Dancing before the Lord, lifting up holy hands, clap your hands. Uh, if you're putting him under your feet, if, he, if you're going to bruise his head, you've got to put your foot down. So even stomping can, can get in there sometimes. You feel like you're crushing the enemy. I believe in it. But I know that it's more than that. And if it's not more than that, it won't carry you very far. If it's not more than that, then you're just wearing yourself out, working up a sweat getting emotional and headed home but when you really worship God you'll change when you're desperate for something it'll change you and when you get into that presence of that holy God and realize I can't I can't be satisfied with only feeling this when I show up here I can't just think the only relationship I have with you God is when I walk through these doors I've got to have you 24-7 then, then worship him. Then worship him. Take a uh, an example from heaven. Those seraphims flying back and forth, worshiping. Never stop. Don't ever stop worshiping God. Worship him in your lifestyle. I read something yesterday. A guy said the easiest way to tell if a if a stick is crooked or not, is to lay a straight one beside it. Nothing has to be said. It's the way you'll live your life. Jesus said you'll be light. And people know when they see you living right in this world, they know something's different about you. That's all right. Don't hide that. Don't cover that up. Don't start bowing a little bit, just a little bit. I'm not going to get crooked. I'm just going to get... Don't, don't alter your lifestyle a little bit just so you can camouflage yourself. You stand straight and tall for the Lord. And you worship God. And you be who God made you. And, and, and uh, you be an example. You might just be like this woman here. That the Lord look at you and say, Great is thy faith. And your story and your testimony could be exactly what somebody's needing. But if you alter it. You make it ineffective. And it doesn't help anybody. So be who God called you to be. Be a worshiper. Let's lift our hands this morning and pray together. Jesus, thank you. Oh, for the unspeakable gift. God, we praise you today. And we worship you. We worship you. We worship you. You are holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Praise your name. We worship you in this house. Oh, we praise you. Oh, let us be true worshipers, oh God. Would you lift your hands and just lift your voice and worship him for a moment?
Thank you, Jesus. Oh, we worship you. We worship you, oh God. Hallelujah. What a privilege and a blessing to be able to lift our voice. And, you know, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I won't, I don't want to just give him lip service. I want it to be flowing from my heart. The Lord said, I got. He had people. He said, oh, I got people that honor me with their mouth, but their hearts are far from me. And I don't want to be like that. I want to be thankful every day for what he's done. I want my heart to be filled with what he's done for me and, and just flow in worship to him. And not during, it didn't have to be in church service. It'd be when you sat down in your car, headed to work in the, in the morning, headed to school, walking out of class. Whatever, God, you're great. If you think that, sometimes you're walking and just looking and say, Wow, God really done some good work today. Don't keep it inside. Open your mouth. Even if you're the only one around, God, you're wonderful. God, I praise you. Thank you, God. Thank you. If you get through praying and you've been worshiping and speaking in tongues, make sure when you're done, thank you, Lord, for the Holy Ghost living inside of me. Thank you for how you've changed me. Thank you. Thank you because, oh, my, if he could show you a picture of where you might be if he had never come along. A lot of us, it would be a, a picture of a tombstone. I'm thankful today that I'm still alive today. I'm thankful to be alive and be in his house. Amen. God bless you. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. What a great God. I know we went just a little over. It's all right. Take a few minutes, get you some water fellowship for a few moments find a place to pray and getting ready for God to do some great things the last worship service of 2018 is about to happen last Sunday worship service anyway let's make it a great one for the Lord amen